Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. I do appreciate you tuning in again this week as we look into the Word of God on the Searching the Scriptures radio program and trust that you're following along in your Bible that you might see the truth of the Word of God, study it for yourself, and be able to see what God said. We have chosen the name of our broadcast based upon Acts chapter 17 verse 11, which spoke of those people in Thessalonica, I'm sorry, the Bereans who were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. And so we want you to search your Bible daily. We want you to follow along. And the things that are being stated on this program, we're going to give you a chapter and a verse. We're going to show you a principal truth, or we're going to show you a direct command out of the word of God that you might see where we're coming from and that you might learn the truth as it's found here in the word of God. Now, last week, we opened up a can of worms and started dealing with a subject that is very touchy among some people. It might be a subject that would get an argument started faster than anything else, and that is the roles of men and women, in particular, the roles of men. And we talked about how that God, in way of review, we talked about how God had set men up in the Bible to be the leaders in both government, in the home, and in the church. And we began our study last week out of Isaiah chapter 3. And if you would open your Bible there, let's read it again. And I want you to see this with your own eyes. Notice, as we said last week, we are reading a passage written to the nation of Israel. God was telling them he was going to judge them. He was going to bring some chastisement upon them. God will always do that to his own. In the Old Testament, his people uh, was the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, it's born-again Christians in the body of Christ. And he, uh, those he loves, he rebukes and he chastens. And so we find him chastening his nation here in the Old Testament. Look at Isaiah chapter 3, verse 1, where the scripture says, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. So he's taking away uh, the bread and the water. He's affecting them uh, financially and, and with their food supply. But here's an even greater takeaway in order to get their attention. As we talked about last week, what God did here is he takes away the great men, the leaders. Look what he does. It says that he takes away the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient, the captain of 50 and the honorable man and the counselor and the cunning artificer and the eloquent orator. And in place of the men, verse 4 says, I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. Verse 12 says, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Now, I know that that is hard for our society to take, because, and the reason we discussed it last week, the reason it's hard for you to accept what I just read you said, that's chauvinistic. That Bible's chauvinistic. The Apostle Paul was a chauvinist, and you're a pig. You're a, you're a chauvinist pig. Now, just wait a minute. You see, it's the devil that's got you thinking like that. Because most people immediately say, we want equality. The, the, uh, the genders are to be equal. Nobody said they weren't equal. Nobody said that one was better than the other. We're saying this. God put men in the role of leadership in the government in the church, and in the home. Have you never read Joshua twenty four fifteen, where Joshua speaks for his entire family, his wife and his children? He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Why, Joshua, what are you doing? You're not allowed. You need to talk to your wife first about that. See if she agrees with it. No, Joshua was not only the leader in Israel because he could be trusted as a leader, but Joshua was the leader, first of all, in his home. And if you cannot lead your home, you cannot lead a church or a group of people or a government or anything else. I'm simply pointing out that God placed men in these leadership roles and God gave women a different responsibility and a different role that is every bit as important. Do you understand that Susanna Wesley had 19 children? I believe 11 made it to adulthood. And she raised up John and Charles Wesley. Now listen to me. That woman, uh, by today's standards, would have been just a common, everyday housewife. She'd have been looked down upon for doing her role as a mother. And yet she produced, uh, and I don't know what the rest of her boys did, but I know what John and Charles Wesley have done. John Wesley, one of the greatest gospel preachers of the church age. Charles Wesley, one of the greatest hymn writers of the church age. And I don't care what church you go to, if you open your hymn book today, you'll find uh, hymns written by Charles Wesley. Now, who raised those boys? It was none other than Susanna Wesley doing what God called her to do. Who was She was a virtuous woman, and her price is far above rubies. You need to learn how to honor what God honors and to love what God loves and be offended by what God is offended by. Rather than the fear of man. The Bible says the fear of man bringeth a snare. Amen and amen. And most people are more afraid of the news media and what their fellow man's going to say here in modern day America than they ever have been of what God thinks. But on this program and in Bible believing churches around this country, we still believe the Bible. And I'm still going to tell you what this book says. Men have been given the responsibility and the privilege of being in authority and being leaders. We talked about that. It's the devil that's created this spirit of competition between men and women. Hey, listen, my wife and I are not in competition for anything. I do what God tells me to do. She does what God tells her to do, and it works out beautifully. And we're not bitter at the responsibilities that have been uh, dealt out to us by our creator. You see, the devil's the one that creates this discontent and this disruption in the plan of God. He is a liar, and he is the father of it. Quit believing his lies and getting your life in confusion and complicating your life. Believe the Bible. That's why the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not, are you listening? Lean not unto thine own understanding. Amen. If you're, if you're sitting around watching, I don't care if it's Fox News or CNN, you're getting a slanted view, a worldview. You're going to have to shut the TV off and open up this old King James Bible and read. Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read is what the Bible says. If you want the truth, you're not going to get it on the nightly news. And I don't care if you are listening to Hannity. Amen and amen. Now, last week, in further way of review, we talked about three types of leaders and we covered two of them. We talked about how God calls men to lead and the type of leaders that we find in the Bible. They're not always good. The first type of leader we saw, we looked at, it was the infant-style leader, the baby, the powder, the passive man. That was King Ahab. And he had a strong wife behind the scenes that manipulated and maneuvered and got things uh, done the way she wanted them done. The Bible says that there was none like Ahab that worked wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. And I've never met an infant-style, baby-like leader who could not get stirred up because his wife stirred him up. 
Secondly, we looked at the tyrant-type leader. And these are both bad examples of leadership. The tyrant-type leader is seen in 1 Samuel 25 with Nabal. Nabal had a very prosperous uh, farm, if you will, and David's men uh, politely asked for a few things and reminded him how good they'd been to him in previous years. And Nabal was curlish and foolish and nasty, and he told them off and sent them away empty. And his dear wife, Abigail, came out and met David, and she said, you know, my husband uh, is like this, he's like that. And she said, I'm sorry, I didn't know the men had come. And as his name is, so is he. His name is Nabal, and folly is with him, is what she said. And so we talked about the tyrant-type leader, and I'd like to say a couple of more things about that today. The tyrant-type leader, we've got too many of those in homes nowadays. Men who come in saying, well, around here I run the show. When a man has to announce that he's in a leadership position, when he has to announce his authority and let everybody know how he rules, that means that he doesn't. Can I remind you of something, sir? You may know the scripture uh, passages about how the husband is the head of the wife. You may be able to quote that, and I'm I'm glad you can. But the problem is, when you're quoting that, I want to remind you that you are overseeing and leading a family. You are not running a military. Some men never get the difference. You're not running a military. You're running a family. I've I've heard uh, we talked about how tyrants only make decisions based on what prospers and benefits them. Their leadership skills make them the benefactor. But that's not the kind of leadership that God calls for in men, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the government, or whether it's in the home. And I want to focus a lot of my comments today toward men who are in leadership either in the church or in their home. And if you have a family... Whether you want to or not, you've been called to lead and be the head. Can I tell you something, sir? If you shirk your duties and you do not lead, you say, well, I'm just going to keep the peace with this woman. You don't know what she's like when you stir her up. Well, listen to me. One day you, sir, will give an account of your leadership at the judgment seat of Christ. Let me give you an example that I hope will uh, wake you up. If you recall in Genesis chapter 15 and 16, Abraham who God had called out from the Ur of the Chaldees to become the first man. He was going to start a nation through Abraham, and he promised him a seed. Do you recall that, Genesis 15? He said, through this promised child that you're going to have, he says, this child is going to start a nation through you. And he said, your, your uh, offspring will be more than the stars of heaven. Well, come Genesis 16, some years have passed. And Sarai, Abram's wife, has gotten impatient, waiting on the Lord's timing. So what does she do? She convinces Abraham to have a child by her handmaid, Hagar, which Abraham agrees to do. And they have this child, and they find out that big problems come because Abraham should never, I repeat, he should never have let Sarai lead him the way she did. She manipulated the situation. She didn't want to wait on God. She thought, I'm going to do something to bring this to pass. Well, she did, and she created uh, some of the greatest confusion and conflict in the history of mankind between Hagar and herself and between Ishmael and Isaac. And you know what she told Abraham when she saw the mistake that she had plunged them into? She says, my wrong be upon thee. God judge between me and thee. 
In other words, you know who's responsible for that mess? You say, Sarah. No, it was Sarah's idea, but Abraham had the right to veto it, and he didn't do it. He didn't lead like he was supposed to. So today we still have the effects of that bad, fleshy decision. And again, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own. Lean not unto thine own understanding. And so what we need in this country and in our churches are some men, some red-blooded men that will lead their families, that will oversee in the church, that will lead in whatever position God places them in. But listen, we saw Ahab as an infant, Nabal as a tyrant. But I ask you now, if you would, to turn over to John chapter 13. And let's look this week at the right kind of leadership example. And it's not an infant-style leadership that we're looking for, and it's certainly not a tyrant, dictator-type leadership that we need. But rather, we need the example, the leadership example of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And in John chapter 13, verse 4, the Bible says, speaking of Jesus Christ, that he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Look down at verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know you what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. He was their master. He was their Lord. He had authority. He's the Son of God. He is their leader, their Lord. And yet he said, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Notice that foot washing is not a church ordinance. It's an example of servitude. Jesus Christ said this. He said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister. You see, good leadership cares about those that are underneath their authority. Look, if you will, in your Bible. I'm trying to help some of you men today, and maybe some of you ladies will benefit from this. But look, if you will, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and notice this verse. The apostle Paul is speaking, and his pen is being moved by the Holy Ghost. And he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8. He says, For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, he's talking about the authority that he has as an apostle, as a preacher. He says, For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. He said, The authority that I exercise is the authority, listen, that God, the Lord, hath given to me. The re- Listen, you don't have any authority, you don't have any leadership, but what God has given it to you. And you are to perform and exercise that office or that responsibility, that role that God hath given you. You are to, by righteousness and by faith, you are to lead in that position. If you, sir, are a husband... If you, sir, are a deacon or a pastor, listen to me. 
the authority that, that go, those offices carry, that authority was given to you by the Lord. And notice the authority is never to benefit just you. That's that Nabal kind of leadership. That's that tyrant that is a, everybody underneath him is a, uh, to him, they're benefactors. The leadership there, the tyrants, the dictators, they benefit from the people underneath him. No, listen to me. Biblical headship, biblical leadership by men is given to men by God that it might edify and benefit those underneath your authority. You say, preacher, do you believe in pastoral authority? Yes, I do. And the large majority, as far as I know, in our church believe in it as well. We respect that. We honor that. That makes me nothing in and of myself. Any authority I have as a pastor was given to me by the Lord. And the Bible says I am to take the oversight willfully. I am to oversee the direction of this local church. The uh, men, the trustees or the deacons, they are to help me uh, in those things. But those deacons are supposed to and the trustees are supposed to lighten the pastor's load so that he can spend time praying and preparing himself to preach to the people. This system that most of us Baptists have in place these days are, is anything but scriptural. But here's the thing. Leadership, headship, oversight is only given to us. That authority is given to men by God himself. And that authority is not to be abused, but rather it is to be used for the benefit of those under your authority. Look over to Ephesians chapter 5. Why, Jesus Christ, listen, he is the Lord of glory. God hath made him both Lord and Christ. If you're saved, then Jesus Christ is your Lord. He is the authority. He is supposed to be governing your life, your life, our lives. But you know something? When Jesus Christ governs our life, it is not a drudgery. It's not a misery. In fact, the only miserable Christians I know are the ones who are still trying to live for themselves and trying to ignore their Lord. Because that, that's a backslidden Christian and they're miserable. Listen, when you hand your, your life over to Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, He doesn't put you under the whip and the lash. He blesses and He leads and He guides you into rich pasture. That Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yes, he's my Lord, he's my leader, but he leads me beside the still waters. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. In other words, my head, my leader, the Lord Jesus, is a blessing to me. It's a blessing to be under his authority. And sir, that is the example we're given in order for us to faithfully and rightly execute our duties as leaders, whether it be husbands, whether it be deacons, whether it be pastors or whatever leadership role that God has entrusted to us. Look with me, if you will, in a couple of places. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is the passage that we go to to look at the qualifications for leadership in our churches. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I want you to notice something. This is a beautiful thing about our Bible. The King James Bible is not hard to understand. You just have to know the author of it. If you're saved, the Holy Ghost lives in you. And if you read a passage in the King James Bible, that's a passage that was authored by the Holy Ghost himself. And therefore, what you have to do is ask the author, what does this mean? And he will, he will show you the definition. And that's one of the beautiful things about the Bible is it defines its own terms. So here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 
Look, if you will, at the qualifications for leadership in the local church. Most would say that these are the qualifications for a pastor. The Bible says this, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, you see it's a man, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Now watch verse 4. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Now that right there says that this man, who's the husband of one wife who has children here, he is to rule well his own house. Now that word rule makes modern day Americans nervous. We don't want no dictatorship. We don't want no ruler over us. Well, headship comes with authority and authority and headship uh, mean rulership. Now, before you go uh, getting nervous on me, let's see what, how God, the Holy Ghost, defines rulership in verse 5. He says in verse 4, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Verse 5, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he rule the church of God? No, it doesn't say that. Look at it again with me. Are you looking in 1 Timothy 3, 5? If a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he, quote, take care of the church of God? So rulership in the home, rulership in the church is not defined by modern Americans as dictators, but rather as one who takes care, a caretaker. That's what real rulership is. And doesn't this line up with the very thing we're looking at? Jesus Christ, our example. We are to love our wives, gentlemen, as Christ loved the church. Now, I'm telling you, that's a pretty tall order right there. But you know what Jesus Christ did for his church? He took care of them. Yes, he's the Lord of the church. Yes, he's the head of the body. I understand that. But his leadership and his authority is for our benefit. And oh, listen to me, men running around barking orders so that you benefit from it, that's not real good leadership. Don't be a tyrant. Don't be an infant. Don't shirk your duties. Lead. But you do it in charity and with love. And you do it to benefit the people underneath you. It's called being a servant leader. That's what Jesus Christ was. He got down and washed the feet of those dirty disciples. And even the feet of Judas Iscariot got washed by our sweet Lord. You know what he was? He was a minister. He was a minister. And he ministered to his bride. He ministered to his church. He ministered to those who were underneath his authority. He said, you call me master and Lord, and, and you say, well, for so I am. But he said, I've left you an example. If you're going to be great in my kingdom, and if you're going to rule well, if you're going to take care of those underneath your headship, then you must serve them. Look in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. This is the thought in my mind as a pastor of a church that believes in pastoral authority. I'm not here to be a dictator, but I am here to make sure no one else becomes one. 
And in the process, I'm to oversee the church and make sure that things are going the way the Bible would have them to go. I'm here to make sure that the people are taken care of and that they have good food to eat when they come here. Listen, I don't expect people to get up and come to church uh, for me to waste 45 minutes of their time. I have a responsibility to feed the flock of God, which God has given me the oversight of. I'm here to make sure that I feed and I lead. And those who are in the pew are to swallow and follow, as they say. Listen, I want to be a servant. I want to be a minister. Those are the people that are equipped to be leaders. And I'm preaching to the men today, and I'm telling you, you don't want to be an infant. Don't be a passive pouty man. Don't be a tyrant. Don't be a dictator. Don't be a jerk. Where the only one that benefits in the relationship is you, because you use the people underneath you. No, sir. But the third type of leader is found in Jesus Christ. He's a servant. And in Ephesians chapter 5, that Bible says, in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So we see that Jesus Christ was willing to sacrifice himself for the church. That's the kind of leader you have. He says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. My pastor back home in Carthage always taught us, I remember as a young man just having been married, he said that we need to be careful how we speak to our wives. Men talk very flippantly to their wives and they remember every word we say. And when you mock her, when you run her down, she doesn't forget that. Listen, if we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church, then we're to build her up with what we have to say. When I read the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, when I read the word of God, it comforts me and it builds me and it corrects me and directs me. But it's a comfort to my soul. It doesn't tear me down and make me feel like worthless. It may point out the places I need to work on, but then it gives me the answer of how to get it done. And what the point is this, he sanctifies us, he purifies us by what he says to us. And likewise, if we're the head that we're supposed to be in our home, if we're the leaders we're supposed to be, men, then we'll speak wisely and kindly to our wives that they might not have a complex and be beat down verbally. Amen and amen. We're to minister to them. We're to consider them and make efforts to show that we care. It says that he sanctifies his bride and cleanses it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. blemish. Verse 28, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And the point is this, if you're going to be the head, the husband's the head of the wife, it says back there in verse 23, we understand that, but the example is uh, uh, the man Christ Jesus. He is a servant. He's willing to sacrifice himself because he loves his bride. He is uh, a sanctifier. He speaks kindly to his bride and builds her up with her words and purifies her so that he might have a beautiful bride one day. And I'm telling you, a lot of uh, men, you listen to me, you ought to treat your wife better. You'd be surprised if you spoke to her more kindly that she might start actually listening to your suggestions and your leadership. Amen and amen. Be a blessing. You know, it's kind of like back in the Civil War. I think of a great man. I know our country doesn't know anything about him, and they're pulling his statues down because somebody lied about what he believed. But General Robert E. Lee was a great Christian man, a man of character and integrity. And you know what? He was a servant-type leader. 
because he always cared for his men and those men underneath his leadership loved him. One time at the Battle of the Wilderness, there was a break in the Confederate lines and they were about to be flanked and General Lee charged to the front with his six-shooter, pulled his revolver and was fixing to go up there and start trying to fill the hole. And some of the Texas Brigade showed up and grabbed his uh, horse, Traveler, and pulled him to the back and they filled that hole. And later on that evening after the Confederates had won the day, they commented, one of the men, men that was in that battle commented, he said, I love that old man. He said, I'd charge hell for that old man. You know why that was? Because those men underneath his authority knew that that general cares about us. That general loves us. And they were willing to fight for him. And I'm telling you, we need some men. Listen, are you a passive man? Does your wife run you? Does she wear the pants and you wear the dress? Well, then change garments and start being the leader that God called you to be. Lead. The Bible says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. You know what you need to do? Get right with God and start leading so the people underneath your leadership will benefit. May God help you to understand these truths and make us all better men for the glory of God Almighty. Until next week, thank you for listening.